This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Have you ever had the same distressing thoughts over and over again that you couldn't stop thinking about? If you are like most people, the answer is probably a resounding yes. The experience of having repetitive thoughts about a distressing issue is known as rumination. In ruminations, despite wanting to stop the distressing thought, the thoughts continue to persist. Is there a way to manage this process? Or are we doomed to engage in these perpetual thinking loops? To better understand what we are up against, we need to distinguish between two important processes, having thoughts and engaging with our thoughts. In this episode, we will also discuss the importance of validating our emotions by stepping into the choice point towards our values. Valeria interviews Barry Eichenbaum. He completed his doctorate in clinical psychology from Farakov Graduate School of Yeshiva University. Barry has extensive experience in providing exposure and response prevention, ERP therapy, for obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, in which he was trained under nationally renowned psychologist, Dr. Stephen Philipson. He is also trained in acceptance and commitment therapy and Gottman Method Couples Therapy. His areas of clinical focus are in OCD, anxiety, depression, sexual dysfunction, compulsive sexual behaviors, and relationship difficulties. Barry currently works at Blue Anchor Psychology, a private group psychotherapy practice based in New York City. Barry's goal in therapy is to fortify his patients with the necessary skills to help them navigate the particular challenges they are facing, thereby helping them learn to become their own therapists. He strives to cultivate a supportive and collaborative environment that can allow for each individual to live through their values and move towards their goals. Meet Barry at blueanchorpsychology.com. Here's the interview with Barry Eichenbaum. In your own words, who is Barry Eichenbaum? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. So, Barry is um, he's a husband, he's a father, a son, a brother. Um, definitely the familiar roles play a large role in, in, in how I see myself. Um, I'm Jewish, and my religion plays uh, also a very important role to me. Um, and I am a therapist at a practice called Blue Anchor Psychology. Uh, it's located in uh, New York City. Um, and I have professionally had a lot of experience working with anxiety, um, anxiety disorders, various ones, particularly I found OCD to be one that I find to be very um, enriching to work with. Um, and I've, I've worked with that for, for a while. 
Um, and now I'm also trying to expand some of the approaches, some of the areas I'm working with. I'm also starting to work with other areas such as couples therapy, sex therapy. Um, so really trying to expand myself and see how else I could I could give give over to other people and make a difference in their life. So you just mentioned OCD being very enriching. Talk to me a little bit more about that. In what way it has enriched your knowledge or your life as a therapist? Yeah, so I think one of the reasons, a couple of the reasons that I, I'm really pulled to that is, you know, sort of like, you know, there's various type of, of issues people struggle with. And, you know, OCD is something that um, really we have very good treatment for, you know, sort of things that people really, if if people, and it's hard work, it's definitely hard work, but if people are willing, are able to stick with it, uh, we can see a tremendous difference, you know, in their lives in terms of managing the condition. Um, and it, it's sort of also, you know, it's the way that OCD obsessive compulsive disorder manifests itself. There's so many different ways. It's like, you don't have, it's never one that there's never the same case, you know, because the idea of OCD being the root being uncertainty, usually generally the fear of uncertainty, there's so much uncertainty, so many things we don't know in life. And there's so therefore so many ways it can manifest itself. So that's such a, it's such a condition that continually, um, I, I learn much more about, you know, you know, about humans in terms of what for them they're uncertain about and how it really manifests in their life. Uh, from your perspective, what are thoughts? Where do they come from? It feels to me like a lot of times that we are being thought. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. We are not thinking. Thoughts are thinking us. So I'd love to hear from you a bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when we think of, I think people get confused a lot of times, you know, when they think of thoughts. So there's sort of, I like to break it down into two things. There's the thoughts and there's the action of thinking, right? So thoughts can come from a, a, a many places. It can come from our upbringing, our earlier, our early experiences growing up. It can come from what happened to you know an hour ago, right? What come come from our mood, the emotions, the emotional feeling we're having at that time can very impactful for why we ha have a certain thought. So thoughts can you know sort of pop in our mind, right? We don't necessarily choose what thought we have, but they sort of they sort of just pop up. And then there's thinking, which is really the action of once we have that initial thought that pops up in our head, it's the idea of, are we thinking about that? Are we putting the mental energy to focus on that thought and continue that thought and investigate that thought further? In your bio, you mentioned um, helping individuals so they can come to the point of moving through their own values, uh, moving their values towards their goals, just connecting them, values and goals. I have a hard time understanding the difference between values and beliefs. What is your perspective on that, Barry? Yeah, I think I think people use the terms, you know, can be sort of interchangeably, but um, values, um, you know, a belief could be a value. Like if you have a certain belief in something that your value is sort of, I would say, what, how, how is that belief guiding your life? You know, if you believe in something that about about doing that the world should be a certain way well so is your value that i want my value in life is to make myself try as best i can to get to that point so it's so i see values more as what's driving us to fulfill the beliefs and form what our values are going to be in our own lives it's something that i try to understand because i do love the idea that we can navigate life this reality without belief systems just kind of going moment by moment, being open to life, being present without holding on too tightly to anything in a way. But then, yeah, I see myself holding on to ideas and ideals. I always wonder if they are connected to belief systems, and it seems like they are. As you said, they are connected to values and beliefs. Absolutely. 
especially there's a lot of interconnectedness. It's life itself, right? I don't see anything that's not really not connected or interconnected. Exactly. Nah, that's another topic. Another open question is about mental health. How do you define mental health? What is to be mentally healthy? So I would say mental health is the ability to have, feel that you're, a sense of control over your emotions, right? So we all have emotions and emotions are, they're good things. They're healthy things. You know, we, we all have it. They give us clues about what's going on in our own lives, right? But sometimes we have those emotions. They pull us to do things that are now, we talked about values. They pull us to do things that are not based on our values, right? Right. So a person may have a value that they want to be social with people. They want to talk to people. They want to make a difference in their life to interact. But because of certain they have anxiety, let's say they have social anxiety. So as a result of that, you know, they'll, they'll not engage with people, right? And their emotions, the fear, the anxiety about, let's say, socializing with certain people will pull them away from those values that are so important to their life. So the degree, and this is always happens, our emotions all, always are going to pull us in certain ways that we would rather they don't. So it's not a question of, you know, do, does it happen? Does it not happen? No, it's really on a continuum. But the, to the degree that we feel a sense, the degree that we're empowered to choose whether we're going to follow those emotions when those emotions tell us to go against our values, that would, that's the extent that I would define mental health. The ability to make that choice of how we're going to respond to our emotions. And I have heard this um, very similar idea. They described freedom in that way, that this is what freedom is when we are able to manage and understand our own emotions. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say exactly that's how I define freedom too. Sort of, yeah, you know, sometimes it's, it's the idea of, of being able to decide whether when you want to hold back and when you want to go forward. Right. And when people feel that they just need to follow that emotion, what you have an emotion, they just have to go there. They, they may, on externally, people may think they're free, but internally, you know, they're suffering. They don't feel that they can act in a way that is really in the, in the way they want to live their life. That's amazing to see how much of our emotions can impact our lives, our day to day lives and our choices. It's incredible. I guess with that in mind, what comes to me is how these, um, patterns in these belief systems, those um, negative emotions, how do they get formed? How are they constructed? Yeah, it's a good question. And there could be different ways. You know, um, sometimes emotions that we, you know, uh, practicing, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So all, all, all the time I'm looking to really look at the thoughts, look at the emotions and the behaviors and see how they're all interconnected. Right. So sometimes emotions come from the way we our thoughts, like we talked about thoughts before, our thoughts can be very instrumental in, in our emotions. So if we have a thought, you know, we, we sort of judge a situation with our thoughts in a certain way, you know, so then our emotion can follow. If we, you know, if we're, if we feel like a pessimistic about a certain situation and our, we have thoughts about, oh, this isn't going to go work for us, um, I, or I did a terrible job. Right. So the emotions often will follow. Maybe we'll feel sad. We'll feel ashamed, right? Those emotions really are following the thoughts. And oftentimes emotions can also be shaped by behaviors too. The more we act in a certain way over time, the more our emotions will follow. Some people talk about like, you know, I don't, these emotions, they're not helpful for me. They're not really serving. They're not helping me get to my values. And one of the ways these things we say is that, yeah, you're right. Maybe not right now, but can you still act in accordance to your values? Even if your emotions don't want you to, 
And over time, you can notice that the emotions will change in accordance with your behaviors. So we can't change those emotions, obviously. That's why we're having this conversation today. <laughs> there are so many people out there doing this work. And I thank you again, Barry. It's just uh, something that I have seen in my own life to cause a lot of suffering and pain, not knowing what to do. Yeah, and it's very difficult, right? When we have painful emotions and not really knowing what to do with them. And we really can't directly, you know, we can't say, you know, if you have a painful emotion, we can't directly decide to say, we don't want it. It's there. There's a reason, like you said, there's a reason it's there. So what we really got to do is inter- we have to work indirectly. Do you go to the thoughts that are related to those emotions or do you do go to the behaviors that are the way those emotions are manifesting in your life? And indirectly, if you do work on those areas, you can indirectly change the emotions. You do give in one of your blog posts, the uh, five step process to increase validation and openness to your emotions. I love that. We'll go through all of them in a moment. There's another question that came to me when it comes to emotions. What do you feel is the purpose of the human experience? Why are we here? Yeah, so I think that, you know, tying back to what we said before. So we all have, everyone, every single person is different. Every person in the world has their unique strengths, their unique weaknesses, right? And the purpose is for us to recognize what those are and then look to our values and say, how can I, in light of what I have, my strengths, weakness, what's, what could be possibly stopping me from feeling my values in life, right? Fulfilling the potential that we all have. We all have such great potential. We can do great things in life. And at the same time, oftentimes we all have, we all have our own roadblocks that make it difficult, right? So the idea of pushing, recognizing what those are and working on ourselves over time, it's a lifelong process to get closer to our potential, to get closer to living that life that is really in line with our values, even with all the, the roadblocks that we're inevitably going to encounter right. across the way. How did you choose to become a psychologist and how did you find this purpose? Yeah, so I think it's a combination of things that really from my own growing up. So from a young age, I just had that. I found myself people talking to me, people yeah. talking about their yeah. own personal <laughs> issues. You know, I don't know why they did, but they sort of gravitated to me. Um, and, you know, sort of, okay, you know, being willing to listen, wanting to listen to them, um, wanting to hear for them to feel a safe space to share their emotions. And I felt that was very powerful, you know, something that I felt meaningful and I wanted to continue. Um, and at the same time, you know, like many people feeling anxious about different things throughout my life, different periods, and, you know, trying to understand for myself, you know, how am I managing that anxiety? What, what are the ways that I'm managing that are not helpful, that are taking me away from my values? And what are the ways that are helping, that are helpful, that are bringing me even closer to those values? And how can I, it, what are the ways that are working for me? And then can I share that with other people? So those are really a combination of working with other people, working on myself that really help, you know, guide me and, and give me the direction that that's something I want to do, you know, throughout my life. I love that. So the idea of helping yourself and others at the same time is just, um, it's a beautiful one. I talk, I say that a lot here because it really resonates true to me. So thank you for saying that too. So what are your values, Barry? So my values are, you know, I think really working on myself, you know, like going back to what I said before, like realizing that um, what is my potential? How can I be um, a better person? How can I connect better to God? How can I help people in the world, right? So we all have so many things going on, so many things at Roadblocks um, that, that make that hard. But my values are, are really to keep looking, to do that introspection, to not be complacent with myself and always to look in and say, okay, this is where I'm at right now. What's working? What's not working? 
what and how do I address that? How do I address the things that aren't working, the roadblocks that I'm experiencing and pushing forward, doing, you know, working through the methods we talked about, working through the cognitive. Can I change my perspective on something that would help me? What if I engage in different behaviors? Will that, will that change my emotions? Really working on myself and being aware of what I need to do to be a better person, to help more people and, and increase my way, my pathway to those values. You mentioned God. What is your understanding of life from that perspective of spirituality? Yeah, so my belief is that we're all here to connect to God and in, in a certain way. And that with that, you know, with that belief like we talked about before, that really is going to inform like the values I have, right? So am I not, you know, sort of like whenever I'm looking at myself, I'm doing something, I'm I'm acting a certain way, is that simply because I want that and that makes me feel good? Or is that really objectively in line with my values, that way that God wants me to live my life? And that helps inform what I'm doing and how I'm at interacting with other people. So maybe I'm interacting with someone and I want something from that person and it really is coming from myself of making me feel better. But because I have the belief system and the values, I have to take a step back and ask is that, okay, maybe that's something that would make me feel good in the moment, but is that really what God wants of me for my life? And so that's really, it really helps with the introspection because it really is sort of a, a way of, checking myself and because we obviously as humans we're very much it's hard to sometimes we get swept up in our emotions and we do things that are not well, normally we, we do things that are not in one of our values so that is a helpful way for me to, to look at my belief system my value system to take a step back and say and do that introspection and see where i'm going when you say the word god i usually ask my guests every time they mention god who is god what where and who is god to you so god is the creator of the world. He's someone who's involved in my life. I can't see him, but I believe that he's there. So sort of not, not only is it sort of a, an ideal in the sense in the sense of the abstract, but he's a personal God. He's someone who's really, I look at life in that way. Is God sending me a message? If this happens, what do I learn from it? Because is God helping me see something that I haven't seen before? Um, so it's something that really is on a daily basis, very, very present, and how I'm living my life. It's a guide. You see us as a guide that's always guiding you. I don't say the word God, but I do say uh, divine force or life itself. Love is my, actually, the word that I use the most instead of any other ideal concept of, of what God is. I love the um, unconditional love concept. For some reason, it really, really resonates with my heart. Yeah, and I absolutely feel that same way, looking at God as an unconditional love, that God has shown me unconditional love. And am I going in line with what I'm doing? Is that in line with what he wants me to Even if I'm, you know, obviously I'm going to step up, you know, mess up in various areas. But knowing that there's an unconditional love is such a motivating factor to helping me pick myself back and return to my values. At this time, what do you feel is the world's greatest need? So I think that really, that's a really good question, you know. I guess we can approach this like so many ways, but I think that, you know, you know, in terms of bringing along in terms of what we're thinking about really um, being aware of our mental health needs, you know, sort of like we have made a lot of progress in various areas, but mental health is an area where we are making progress on, but we're not the same way. You know, we learn, we go to school um, and we, we learn all the things how to be, how to go into a certain profession, but their mental health part, which is such a part of our life, right? Every single day we're feeling, we're thinking, we're acting, 
we're talking about vows, it's not something that's openly discussed. And I think that something that'd be really helpful is to have that conversation earlier on, earlier on the kids in school, families, talk to the kids about that, to be aware of that mental health and to have a space, a safe space for people to come together and talk about their own, what they're going on in mental health, what's going on inside and having that freedom to do that. We talked earlier about unconditional love. It really feels to me like that is um, a beautiful place to start, isn't it? I mean, conversations, of course, once we are showing signs of emotional distress and psychological issues, but having that understanding as parents that that's what kids, children need to feel unconditionally loved, to feel safe, right? Because, absolutely, because it's it's normal for, you know, we all make mistakes. It's normal for kids. And if, if, if your child knows that it's okay to tell you about it and there'll still be that unconditional love. So they're going to learn. They're willing to learn. They're going to be able to say, okay, you know, I'm going to, I want to learn. I want to talk to you about what happened and how, and what do I do next time? And if there's this sense that we're not safe, it's not a safe spot. So the kids are, our, our kids are anyone who are involved with, they're not, they're not going to learn. They're not going to be able to go to live that life. Like we said before, to live more in accordance with their values, because they're going to sort, sort of start have this feeling of, of avoidance of these uncomfortable emotions what people are going to think. So absolutely, like you said, to create to create that sense of love that we're going, to, we're going to provide our children, that it's okay to talk to us, it's okay to acknowledge when things don't go according to your values. The piece that you sent me, there's a lot of parts there that caught my attention. And there's a section that says, when considering our emotional experiences, we needed to consider that there are two different kinds of emotions, primary emotions and secondary emotions. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. I never heard it that way. Sure. So if you think about it, when we think about emotions, so primary emotions are the emotions that we initially experience yeah. when we have a certain event. So let's imagine, you know, you're walking and a big, you're walking in the woods and a, a big scary bear approaches you, right? So you get, you know, your heart starts racing, right? And you you feel fear. Your fear, you're, you're worried for your safety, right? So that fear is a primary emotion. It's directly the result of coming encounter with that distressing scenario with that, with that bear that's right in front of you, right? Secondary emotions are really emotions about emotions. Okay. So give another example, a person, um, we go back to, we talked about before is in a social situation and they are anxious and then they feel like they're anxious and they're not present, right? They're sort of very anxious to talk to someone so the anxiety is the initial, that, that primary emotion is the anxiety. But then what happens if they feel shame afterwards, right? They feel guilt or they feel anxious for being anxious, right? That emotion, that secondary emotion is the response that our, we have to the first emotion. Um, and sometimes it can actually, if you think about um, a lot of mental health, oftentimes what's the most distressing is the secondary emotion, okay? Because that's where really, that's what really takes us away from our values because we have that guilt and we have the shame. We're anxious. We're anxious. We feel ashamed that we're anxious. And that's sometimes the hardest part. The more I hear you, yeah, the more I kind of can feel that too when I used to do that. And sometimes it still happens, of course, it's a work in progress where, yeah, I'm just kind of overthinking what happened. And then it, I feel in the body that it is, it is becoming an emotion. And it's almost like holding on to the past, isn't it, Barry? Something that has passed already, but we yeah, still live yeah. in it. Yeah. You know, the event's over, but our minds are, right? Our thoughts are still there. Our thoughts are constantly reminding us of what happened. 
And then those emotions follow. Do you teach your clients to be in the moment? Do you have a practice actually that's called presence or something similar? Absolutely. So, you know, yeah, I, I definitely teach mindfulness, you know, being present. Exactly. Right. If you think about uncomfortable emotions, right, like you were saying, if we are in the present. So oftentimes the emotions are a product of what happened in the past. Right. Something maybe we regret or something didn't work out um, or a loss we had. Right. And then they're also about the future. We're worried. We're anxious. What's going to happen? How is something going to turn out? Right. Those are in the past or the in the future. But if we are in the present, if we're there, it's very difficult to have those negative thought patterns, those negative emotions, right? Because we're right here and in the moment, unless we're in distress, unless we're in trouble right now, we're not going to be feeling that way. So mindfulness is absolutely something that I advocate in terms of we can't be mindful of time. We have to our we have to think about the past future, but to the extent that we're able to be present. That could be so helpful for our mental health. And when I think about being in the moment, for me, the challenge has been not achieving some of the goals that I have set, like for the day. And then now I'm left with some sort of disappointment. It's not disappointment, it's not an emotion, but it is a feeling that I have not accomplished what I was supposed to accomplish. So it's really a challenge to enjoy this present moment sometimes because the mind is ruminating, kind of overthinking the uh, not accomplishing certain goals. Absolutely, you know, yeah, because, it, and, and it's not it's not realistic to always be in the present, right? I don't see it as, you know, are you in the present or not, but how much are you in the present? Our minds are constantly pulling us and that's normal and that's okay. It's sort of when it happens and we realize that it's not helping us, it's taking it away ourselves away from our values. Can we gently try to push ourselves back into the present for whatever time we have until, again, we'll get distracted? But it's that constantly gently pushing back to the present when those things happen and we get distracted. So many of us try to distract ourselves from our own thinking, overthinking, the emotions, the painful emotions, especially. You mentioned that in the, in your the article that you have read, have written. So what do you consider a distraction? What would that be, those distracting techniques that we use? Yeah, I think it's something that is, you know, if you have some painful emotion and you feel it's too painful to be with, sort of anything else that you're diverting your attention from that emotion. Um, and it's not to say that, you know, there are certain times that distraction is very helpful, right? There are certain times where having you know, overwhelming emotions, we're not able to take a step back and be mindful. So distraction is really helpful to sort of do something, take our mind off what's going on and then come back to, to revisit it. Um, but what happens is that when we use distraction as our primary coping method, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. That's when we'll notice that we're really moving away from our values because we're maybe avoiding things that we really want to do um, and things like that. We're not getting, we're going a farther away. So when that happens, we have to learn another method. We have to realize that distraction is not helping us and we have to incorporate other methods to deal with those difficult emotions. Would you say that drinking, because some people, they turn to alcohol, unfortunately, right. to distract those emotions. So it's important to know the uh, the level of destruction too, right, Barry? Yeah. How much it is affecting our lives in a negative way, those distracting mechanisms. Right. It, it's a big, it's really the question I like to think about, is this workable for you? Is this distraction taking workable? Is it Sometimes you're doing it and it's helpful. So great. But if you really have to look at it and be honest with yourself, and it's hard sometimes to be honest with yourself about this, to really ask us if it's pulling ourselves away from our values. 
I love the way you keep saying that. That's a, such a, a powerful message about values. You made me think a lot more about it in this moment, how important it is to be guided and to be in alignment with those values. I love that as um, it's almost as a guiding principle. Just is this in alignment with my values? Always ask that Absolutely. question. Absolutely. And if we don't have it, it's so hard to know what we want to do next, what choice to make. And this is, like you said, a guidepost to help us make that choice. You're right. We might be used to seeking validation from others, but we are often less likely to seek validations from ourselves. This is so true that trying to get validation from others is easy. I mean, we often go, but we don't turn within often enough. That caught my attention when I read this because it is true. So talk to me about that and also a little bit more about it. And also the, um, the choice point, that's another, another concept that caught my attention. You say it is important to note that validating an emotion does not mean giving in to what the emotions is compelling us to do. We can validate an emotion and step into the choice point towards our values. Yeah, sir. Okay, sure. So, you know, right. You know, when we, the idea of validating is just that clarify, right? Like you were saying, it, it means that it makes sense. It makes that if we're, you know, if we're having a certain emotion, an emotional experience, uh, way of thinking, it's the idea of, can we see how it makes sense to the person? And everything makes sense in some way, right? If you're able to t- look into the person yourself, look at your background, your history, look about how you grew up, look about what happened a minute before this, the, the, this feeling happened. So you, it makes so much sense why it's happening. Right. So that validation is like, yeah, that makes sense. It's not crazy. It makes sense. Now, it doesn't mean it's a work, it's workable for you. It doesn't mean it's taking you in line with your values. Maybe it's something pulling you away, but it makes sense. And that's so powerful because that's the first step. If we don't make space for our emotion, we're much more likely to do what we said before to distract because we say, Oh, here's that painful emotion. I don't, I can't sit with it. I got to run away from it. But validation says, No, no, you can have that emotion. It's okay to have that emotion. It's not crazy. It makes sense. That's the first step. And we do that. It, it's harder sometimes to do that for ourselves because you know you look at a person externally, you may not necessarily know all the background. And you can say sometimes to sort of step out and say, oh, I understand that. And without knowing all the nuances, all the inner emotions they're having it can be easier. But sometimes we know ourselves and we're very self-critical, right? We have a lot of oftentimes where we don't have the self-confidence and we are not so kind to ourselves. And that's why it's it's hard. That's why validation is the first step because without it, we're not making space and it's going to be hard to sit with that emotion. Talk to me about the five steps. The article that you wrote, it outlines five-step process to increase validation and openness to emotions. Do you have them with you, Barry? I have them here. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, you know, as we were saying before, the first step is going to be notice. Like what is, you know, what's happening for you, right? You know, maybe there's something painful and our knee-jerk reaction is like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm not here right now. I'm going away. I'm running away. But no, can you take a step back? What is that, right? That's the, the most basic thing. What am I, what are my feeling right now? Okay, so make space. And emotions can manifest themselves in different ways. You know, so we might even notice um, parts of the body where we feel that emotion, right? So what what's happening at the moment? The second stage is going to be labeling, right? The next is once we make, once we try to look at and notice what's happening, can we label what that emotion is? You know, very often we tell ourselves or people will tell us, I'm feeling, you know, bad, right? And bad is, there's so many things that bad can mean. 
right? And it doesn't, and while it means that something, we're feeling a certain sense of negativity, there's so many different things we don't really know. We can't really pinpoint what exactly we're feeling bad about, right? So it means, am I feeling the emotion of guilt? Is it shame? Is it sadness? Is it fear, right? So it's really being able to describe, being more specific about what we're, what type of emotion it is. And then we go to describe, it's okay, now I know the emotion, how is it manifesting within me? Um, is it, is, am I, is my, do I feel my stomach is in a knot? Do I, am I feeling my blood pressure rising? Am I feeling my heart racing, right? So this is the way the emotion is manifesting specifically in me right now, okay? And in addition to thoughts, like what are the thoughts? That's very important too. What are the thoughts that are coming up in response to this emotion, okay? And then this is the powerful step we said before, accept. Can you open yourself up to this emotion and create space for it? And can you acknowledge that your own humanity in the experience of this emotion? And accepting doesn't mean you like it. You might feel like you really wish this would go away. You really don't want to be feeling guilty right now, but you don't want it necessarily. You don't want to, you're not choosing it, but it simply means that accepting means you're creating the space in your experience for it to be there right now and saying that it's okay that I have it. It makes sense for me to have that emotion. And then once you do that, you choose to go forward. Now that I have this emotion, what do I want to do? But once you're able to recognize and see how it's manifesting yourself, that now puts you in a position to make it going to the choice point, which is really saying, well, how do I want to proceed? Do I want to go past further away from my values or do I want to proceed? Even with this painful emotion, do I want to continue to proceed towards my values? I love when you um, talk about making sense. I mean, acceptance, of course, that's a big one, all these steps. But the fact that it makes sense that the feelings that we are having now, the emotions are there for a reason. So that is such a powerful testament to self-knowledge and self-awareness. That's what it comes across to me. The more we get to know ourselves, the more we understand that that's okay to have those feelings or those emotions because we have been through all the things that we have been through. Absolutely. If we know ourselves well. Right. We can sort of say, now I know why I'm feeling this emotion. That's why it, it, it relates to something that happened in my life before and it's coming back. It's triggering me again. Absolutely. And then we have a certain space because it's sort of like, okay, that makes sense. I know why you're here right now. Well, it's almost like a title of a book. <laughs> it makes <laughs> sense to feel the way I feel, you know. Yeah. If you write that book, let me know. I'll interview you about it. <laughs> the other blog post that you have written is titled Overthinking Your Overthinking, How to Effectively Manage Ruminations. The website is blueanchorpsychology.com. I'll have the link on, on the podcast profile too. So there you talk about rumination, you define uh, what that is, which will be wonderful for you to do here again. And then also the difference between having thoughts and engaging with thoughts. That was very insightful to hear, to be reminded of, really, because sometimes we forget. I mean, more often than not, we forget about these things. So yeah, talk to me about that for a moment. Sure. So the way I would define rumination is the experience of having repetitive thoughts about a certain distressing issue. And despite your best interest, you want these thoughts to stop. They continue to persist, right? And we, we, don't, feel in, we don't feel in control over them. We feel like the thoughts are sort of guiding us and pushing us to do to, to certain things, to do certain things, to be distracted. Um, and despite thinking again, we, so we sort of think again and again about the same issue, we don't really make much progress on the issue. And oftentimes you'll feel worse afterwards. So. That's what 
that's what rumination, in my view, is. Yeah, we can all identify with that one way or another. What is the difference between having thoughts and engaging with them? Yeah, so the when we have a thought, right, so we can't directly control what thoughts we have. You know, we don't sort of push a button and say, you know, we'll accept or decline the thought, right? It comes there. So we're, we're not, when we have a thought, and it's really right, accepting that there's a thought that happened, our brain gave us a thought, right? And the question of thinking is now that we have a thought, now that we've detected that thought has come in, are we going to engage with that thought? Are we going to now think further? Are we going to analyze the thought? Um, are we going to investigate that thought to understand why it's here, right? That's going to be thinking. Um, and we confuse the two. We think that thinking and thoughts are all the same thing, but thoughts are an experience that are not, is not under our direct control and thinking is. Yeah. Thinking is under our direct control. That goes back to this very big topic of what we can control and what we cannot. That is a big one for most of us. And some say, I think you probably have heard the AA, they have that um, as a theme, I believe, knowing the difference between what we can control and not control. That's what wisdom is. Absolutely. Would you say it's a practice? <laughs> that kind of wisdom is actually a practice? Yeah, I think because, you know, a lot of times, and that that's really helpful in terms of various mental health issues we have. Sometimes we have certain thoughts and we'll say, like, the fact that I had that thought is a problem, right? I feel because I thought, because I was had this thought, I'm afraid of something, you know, we have a thought, an anxious thought. We sort of like, we talked about that secondary emotion coming and we sort of blame ourselves because we say, well, that means something about me. And when we understand this, it's, it's very empowering because it says like, no, you don't, you don't directly create those thoughts. And it's not about the having the thought. This comes up a lot in OCD where the people think that they had a certain thought means something about them, but it's really recognizing that it's what you do after the thought that where you can control. Yeah, it is very empowering. I love that you use that word too. So knowing that thoughts, they just come and they are not, it's not from us. And most people, they do believe, and most of us believe that we are thoughts. That's probably why we have so many mental issues because the attachment to thoughts. Yeah, and you know, the reason we have certain thoughts, there's a lot of times a connection that could be based on the way we're living our life. There's certain, you know, if we do certain things, we're much more likely to have certain thoughts. So there's sort of, not to say, there's sometimes random and sometimes there's a, there's a, there's a real under, good understanding of why they're coming. But the fact that they came right now in that moment isn't something that we're controlling. There's no reason to hold on to it as if and continue with that engagement. That's a beautiful advice. There is another interesting section in that piece which reads, Problem solving is great when we are dealing with issues in the material world. However, for problems in the non-material world, our internal world, such as our thoughts and emotions, efforts to fix these problems are less likely to be successful. So you make a, a distinction here between the interaction with problem solving, which it, it could be similar to rumination, but it's not, trying to fix a problem that's happening now in the material world and something that's non-material. I never heard of that way too. What an interesting idea, Barry. How did you come to this um, understanding? What inspired you to write about this? Did you learn this somewhere or, or this is an insight you had? Yeah, so I think it, it, it comes from realizing that, you know, the idea of change, like making changes. So we are people that, people like to problem solve, right? And it's really helpful. 
So, right, if we didn't problem solve, you know, that's what all the all the technolo- technological advances we have are because we had a certain problem. People put their heads together and tried to, and they came up with a solution, right? So it's so powerful. And because we're so used to problem solving, we get we oftentimes get good results from problem solve, right? We're so we're used to that. We take that same mechanism and we transfer it us to it to our inner world, right? So if we have a certain emotion, we might try to problem solve that emotion. So sometimes that might mean like, okay, I have an emotion. I feel sad right now. I want to see why I'm sad. I want to try to get rid of the sadness. I want to investigate. And not to say that could be something, in certain times, that could be helpful, sort of understanding what's happening. But sometimes what we'll notice is that we keep problems doing, taking that same approach for our thoughts and emotions, and they don't get us anywhere because partially we don't have direct control, like we said, over the thoughts and emotions we have. So if we think that we're going to sort of problem solve and get rid of an emotion, because we're problem solving our own emotions, a lot of times it doesn't work out that way and we get frustrated and then the thoughts, and we do it again and again and again because we're not successful the first time. So it's really about that, you know, that distinction is really about understanding that thoughts and emotions in our, you know, which is part of more our inner world are, are different, very different than more external problems that we're experiencing outside. I love the way you talk about also the, um, Oh, it's actually, yeah, you do mention acceptance, right? But then there's something else that caught my attention. It was a piece written by Shai Croak. So he wrote a piece about the secret to winning at life, learning to give up. So that caught my attention too, because, I mean, it is about acceptance, not the same as giving up, right, Barry? So I would love for you to make that clear for the audience. That's not the same thing. Yeah, so... And what Shai is saying there is the idea of giving up on, on the attempt to control, right? You know, sort of, we obviously, we don't, we, we want to succeed in life. We want to go and we want, we're hoping that we can go and fulfill our goals, go in accordance with our lives. But the idea that sometimes if we put so much control, think that, think that we're going to have, we act in a way as having so much control over, over our emotional health, that gets us into trouble. That makes more problems a lot of times. So if we give up in the sense of, Realizing that we're going to accept what comes our way, accept those emotions. If we have certain people emotions, we're not going to try to change them, but make space for them. Actually, what happens is that over time, oftentimes those emotions don't be- become less painful. Maybe they become less frequent, right? Part of the thing about anxiety, part of anxiety is that you can understand anxiety. The reason why anxiety continues to maintain itself, right, is because we sort of think we're trying to get rid of it all the time, right? We sort of have, we're anxious and we try to push away or we avoid the situation. So that's causing that anxiety. So giving up is sort of not resigning ourselves and saying, oh, I want to be anxious for the rest of my life. It's saying, I'm not going to try to control the anxiety. If it comes, it comes. If it's here, if it leaves, it leaves. And once we make the space for anxiety to come and it's less threatening to us, then over time, the anxiety will leave on its own. The intensity, the frequency that we feel this anxiety, it will oftentimes leave on its own. But it's a little paradoxical, right? It's sort of saying that we're not going to control that actually gives us that control over time. So it's the paradox of not controlling to gain control. That's powerful because, yeah, the tendency is just to try to control anything that's painful. That's what we do, humans. Right. We do that in in the material world all the time. So why not try it in the internal world? And that's what we... We do, but we often get sidetracked. We, we go away from our values in the process. That's really good to know. What a beautiful reminder, too. I love your work. I love the way you um, explain, the way you write about these things, too. It made me 
reflect a lot more about those emotions and feelings and overthinking, it really, really touched me in that sense. And I, I love when anything teaches me <laughs> something. And I have been open to learning all my life and now more than ever. So thank you so much for being not just a therapist, but a teacher too, Barry. Well, thank you so much for, for allowing me to share this with you. Oh, I love this. <laughs> this is my sacred hour. So let's see. We're almost at the end. I want to mention that with that piece, the last one about overthinking, you also have some steps to reduce overthinking or ruminations. So these steps um, acknowledge everything that you've been saying, acknowledge that you are ruminating, decide to stop and then direct your attention elsewhere and then repeat as a practice. Just keep doing that. And I also love that the statement you made on your website, I believe under your bio, that you love teaching others to become their own therapists so they can yeah, feel empowered. Yeah, you know, giving them those tools, giving them the tools, you know, sort of that they can go out on their own and take these principles. And there's always going to be new situations that come up. Person's coming to therapy for something. What if there could be so many different ways if that problem manifests, some new problem that comes up, but if they have that tools, not to say they can't come back to therapy, but they'll feel more empowered to have a sense they can also approach it on their own. I love the words that you choose to use, empowerment, choice, the idea of um, not controlling emotions, but letting them be, just listening, creating space. And then you always go back to values. That's such a wonderful thing to hear in these days. So let's see. We're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you. But before I ask them, would you like to add anything else that we left unsaid, that you left unsaid? I know I think we covered a lot today. You know, um, I would say that, you know, we're talking about working on mental health, sort of understanding that it's a, a lifelong process. You know, it's not a, have you, are you mentally healthy or do you have, or, or not so mentally healthy? It's, we fluctuate on a daily basis, right? Some days are easier than others, some are harder. And it's sort of the idea, like, again, I'm going to go back to values, but it's always that question of today, am I being a little pulled away from my values or am I getting closer to my values? And it's, and if I am, okay, what's happening? What are those obstacles? How do I push closer to them? It's it's like, it's like you said, it's ongoing learning about ourselves and growing every single day. Yes. Beautiful message. Thank you again for being who you are. Thank you. And my last question is, I have a technical one, but before that, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? I would say, number one, feeling, you know, connected to someone, um, you know, um, family member, a partner, feeling that sense of connection that you can, um, bonding with that person, learning about that person and feeling that you're, you're playing a, a part in your life. Um, I would say feeling number two, I would say, Going back to mindfulness, feeling a sense of like that inner calmness. You know, so many people don't feel that. You know, they're constantly like we talked about the rumination constantly. They don't feel present, and having the ability not all the time. It's not realistic, but to feel that they can come back to that place where they're feeling present and anchored in that moment. And I think number three is establishing clear values for yourself. We said like, what are your values? It's not always easy to figure those out for yourself, but really trying to to do our best to create those values that can guide us as we go forward. Thank you so much again, Barry, for your presence here today, your presence and your work in our reality in this world and everything else in between that you do to help yourself and others. Thank you. 
You're very welcome. Thank you so much again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, services, and future projects? Sure. So you could go to um, blueinkerpsychology.com. Like you know, you were talking about, there's a number of articles, the articles that we talked about today, a number of other articles um, written by members of the practice um, that touch on these areas and other areas. Um, and on the website, a lot of information on how to connect us further. Wonderful. If you would like. Yeah, I'll have the link on your podcast profile too. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Barry. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Barry Eichenbaum and his work, please visit blueanchorpsychology.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.